It's quadruple the love for the Albas of Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Identical twins Levi and Luca are 18 months. They're big brothers to four-month-old sisters. Identical twins, Lindley and Lydia. The big, beautiful thing... If you didn't catch that story, which just aired last week on the Today Show, it highlights a couple who had two sets of twins, both identical, and they delivered 13 months apart. 13 months, as if a short interpregnancy interval wasn't hard enough for a singleton for one fetus, this couple had one set of identical twins, followed by a second set of identical twins, all within 13 months. As we were discussing this very story, I heard a patient start to cry in one of our exam rooms. Come to find out, she was just four months postpartum, and you guessed it, found out she was pregnant again. So in this episode, we're going to tackle this real issue of short interpregnancy interval. Now, I know, I know, we've kind of done this before, but with a different twist. You see, in a previous podcast, we covered ACOG's obstetrical care consensus that covered interpregnancy care. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I want to focus specifically on interpregnancy interval, the IPI, because although we are all familiar with certain obstetrical complications that can come from a short IPI, there's some other issues at play here that, as we always say on this episode, medicine moves fast. We're also learning that it's not just about the maternal OB complications associated with a short IPI, but there's also some potential neurodevelopmental issues with the offspring, with the child. So in this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the short IPI, the short interpregnancy interval. We're glad that you're with us for this journey. Let's get started right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we get into the content for today's episode, can I just lay out the obvious Um, If my wife found out that we were having a second set of twins 13 months apart, she would go ape crazy, okay? I would go ape crazy, but she would go ape crazy-er. I mean, wow. So let's just take that in for a minute. (laughs) The rarity of two sets of identical twins in this most recent set for this couple was mono-mono. So super high risk in addition to the short IPI. I just wanted to get that off my chest. I mean, wow. Just to be clear, we're talking about IPI, not IDI. One is interpregnancy interval, which is the time between the ending of one pregnancy and the start of the other. And that's not to be confused with IDI, which is the interdelivery interval. That's why some medical students and residents, even some healthcare providers, get these things confused because they're actually talking about two different things in published literature. IPI is the focus of this episode. And the importance of interpregnancy interval depends on what happened with the previous pregnancy. 
For example, if the previous pregnancy ended in a first trimester miscarriage, then that interpregnancy interval is not that big of a deal because, as we know from many studies published, there really is no advantage to waiting a certain amount of time after a miscarriage before attempting pregnancy again. That interpregnancy interval, however, has a lot more importance if that previous pregnancy ended in a full term birth. And there's specific implications if that previous pregnancy ended in a stillbirth. We're going to discuss that in just a moment. ACOG has an obstetrical care consensus, which is number eight, that touches on the subject, and that was released in January 2019. But to be most accurate, this is over interpregnancy care, which includes the IPI, but isn't specifically addressing issues within the short interpregnancy interval. While obviously related, these two terms are a little different. Women of lower socioeconomic status and women of color appear to be at risk of the shortest interpregnancy intervals, which highlights the interpregnancy interval as a potential opportunity to address inequities in adverse outcomes. And here's why it gets tricky. Professional organizations can't even be on the same page as to what defines a short IPI. The World Health Organization recommends that women should wait for at least 24 months after childbirth before conception of the next child. However, the ACOG defines a short IPI as starting much lower at just six months. ACOG states quote, Most of the data from observational studies in the U.S. suggest a modest increase in risk of adverse outcomes associated with intervals of less than 18 months and more significant risk of adverse outcomes with intervals of less than six months between birth and the start of the next pregnancy. End quote. Either way, whether it's six months or 18 months, this is way shorter than the 24 months cited by the WHO. Why this discrepancy? Why does the U.S. say that a short IPI is less than six months for sure, up to 18 months, but the World Health Organization says it's up to 24 months? Well, obviously, the World Health Organization is talking on a global scale, and there is a greater risk of micronutrient depletion in other countries, especially those that are still developing. That's why they push the interpregnancy interval down additional months to 24 months. So, just to be clear, in the U.S., a short interpregnancy Pregnancy interval without question is the end of one pregnancy to the start of another within six months or less, but it is definitely also considered up to 18 months as the interval from the end to start of a new pregnancy. Regardless if you consider short interpregnancy interval to be six months or 18, short IPI has definitely been linked to preterm birth, fetal growth restriction, gestational diabetes, and hypertensive disorders of pregnancy. It's also been associated with postpartum depression. I already have to clarify something. I just said that short interpregnancy interval has been linked to those adverse issues. The more appropriate word is probably associated with. It's hard to prove causation because there's so many factors going on here, and we will address that in just a minute. But short IPI has been associated with those adverse issues we just discussed. Women of childbearing age are particularly vulnerable to malnutrition because pregnancy and lactation are the main sources of nutritional stress in the body. In fact, during pregnancy or lactation, the demand for many of these nutrients will reach the highest level of anyone's lifetime. High demands combined with insufficient intake often leads to these nutritional deficiencies during pregnancy, and then it's made worse by breastfeeding. Now, just to be clear, I'm 100% in 
advocacy of breastfeeding. But in those patients that are nutritionally depleted and not taking any supplements, it can wear on the body. Continuous pregnancies, especially those with short IPIs, may further complicate this problem and lead to multiple true nutritional deficiencies that are responsible for these adverse issues that we just described. I really do believe that we do a good job with our postpartum patients if and when they come back, in discussing contraceptive options. But where I think there's a gap is explaining why those contraceptive options are so important. In other words, timing of pregnancy and proper spacing of pregnancies. I think somewhere in there that gets lost. And there's evidence that that's exactly the case. There was a study that was based on a patient survey that came out of Australia. This was first published on October the 14th, 2021 in the journal BMJ Sexual and Reproductive Health that found that women with a short IPI actually did not feel well-informed about birth spacing. They had information about birth control, but not why birth control was important. In other words, the true root of it is the importance of the interpregnancy interval. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we do a good job explaining about birth control and larks and all the other stuff, but patients may view that as, eh, they're kind of doing what they need to do. I guess they talk about birth control because they're in gynecology, but they don't really get the importance of pregnancy spacing. Anyway, just something to keep in mind. And talking about the importance of pregnancy spacing, there is a special population where this seems to be much more important, and that's in patients who have experienced a stillbirth. I mean, that's heartbreaking, right? And of course, these patients are so willing just to try again and, and, and have that child as a redemption that sometimes they can seek a pregnancy very quickly. But a 2019 study found a higher risk of neonatal stillbirth in those with a prior stillbirth who had a short interpregnancy interval. We actually did this study review and summary in a previous podcast, so you can go back and find that on the archives. All right, we've covered a lot of information already. When we come back, let's talk about this nutritional depletion theory because it doesn't just explain the maternal complications, but it can also explain some congenital anomalies and even some neurodevelopmental adverse issues in the child. We'll get to that next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of our gynecology oncology attendings at UT Southwestern is a big name in gynecology oncology. I mean, he's big with the GOG, does lots of trials. He's a fantastic physician uh, and trained me very well, I'm very proud to say, uh, Dr. Miller. Well, Dr. Miller always considered pregnancy to be a symbiotic slash parasitic (laughs) growth. He'd always call it the happy dermoid. Uh, Yeah, it's kind of weird, kind of twisted. I get that. But 
kind of true. I mean, the idea is that there's this being inside of a woman that's taking away nutritional stores. That's why the baby actually does okay, even if the mom goes without eating. Even in times of severe famine, the baby will actually have some growth. It may be a little slowed growth, but it'll still grow because it will cannibalize, so to speak, uh, mom's nutritional status. Now, while that is true of macronutrient sources like proteins and fat stores, it is actually not the case with micronutrients. A short IPI has been linked to certain congenital malformations stemming from micronutrient depletion. The truth is, there's a lot of micronutrients that can get depleted between pregnancy and lactation, but the one that gets most of the attention, of course, is folate. Okay, follow this. Women with poor nutrition and or low folate levels may be particularly susceptible to adverse outcomes following short IPIs. Without appropriate supplementation, the demands of pregnancy and lactation can result in reduced folate concentrations through six months postpartum. And research supports that when a state of depletion exists, nutrients, these micronutrients, preferentially partition to the mother at the expense of the child. So in other words, macronutrients can get broken down so the child has a continuous source of nutrition, but micronutrients might not have the same fate and they can actually be made even more deplete in the fetus. Furthermore, researchers like Von Edson et al. in the American Journal of Nutrition, who published back in 2008, found that association between short interpregnancy intervals and low birth weight were strongest among women who did not use folic acid-containing supplements. In 2021, researchers published their conclusions in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. The title of that publication was Short Interpregnancy Intervals and Risk for Birth Defects Support for the Nutritional Depletion Hypothesis. In this multi-site, population-based, case-controlled study, the authors found a trend of association between short IPI and several malformations. As confirmation of the importance of folic acid, they found that short intervals actually were not associated with increased congenital malformations among those women who had folic acid supplementation in the interim, in other words, between pregnancies. The strongest associations with short intervals, although imprecise, were observed among women who did not supplement with folic acid. They found the highest risk for interpregnancy intervals less than six months related to non-cardiac as well as cardiac malformations. The most notable increases were in gastroschisis formation, pulmonary valve stenosis, and transposition of the great arteries. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, if these women were folic acid depleted, then where are the neural tube defects? Hold on, I was going to get there because, yep, those were issues too. Malformations associated with folate deficiency were, as expected, anencephaly, spina bifida, and even cleft lip and cleft palate. These have all been associated at one point or the other with folate deficiency as well as other micronutrient defects. If you'd like more information on this article, again, it was in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition from June 2021 with the lead author being Julie Peterson. You see, we've all learned and we've all memorized the fact that short IPI gives mom more problems. And that's true but it also gives baby problems, including this association with certain types of congenital anomalies. And it's all linked to nutritional micronutrient depletion. And it gets worse. 
Next, let's cover issues specifically targeted to neurodevelopmental issues with the child that results from a short interpregnancy interval. Before we get into the possible association, the adverse outcomes with neurodevelopmental issues with the child, we have to confront the issue that it's hard to do these studies because there's a lot of cofactors that are hard to account for. All right. So a lot of these are observational studies, but I do want to cover one article that came out in March of 2022, because the truth is it was the first one that actually looked at this specific type of adverse neurodevelopmental issue. The specific disorder these authors were interested in was ODD, which is oppositional defiant disorder in the child. In the journal Development and Psychopathology from Cambridge University Press, data was published in March 2022 investigating the association between interpregnancy interval and parent-reported oppositional defiant disorder. This was in children that were between 7 and 10 years of age. Remember, they were all the results of short interpregnancy intervals. Now, the researchers used data from the Avon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children, which was an ongoing population-based longitudinal study based in Bristol, the United Kingdom. In describing their rationale for their research, these authors stated, quote, pregnancy-related physiological adaptation, maternal folate or nutritional depletion, adverse birth outcomes, sibling competition, parental stress, and neglectful parenting practices have all been suggested as potential mechanisms for the associations between short or, just the opposite, long interpregnancy intervals and adverse behavioral and neurodevelopmental outcomes in children, end quote. Now, I love that those authors put that in there because it just gives you that long list of all the potential factors at play here. The authors found that children of mothers with short IPIs, defined as less than six months, were 2.4 times as likely to have a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder by ages 7 and 10 compared to mothers with IPIs of 8 to 23 months. Now, if you tie this whole result back to the whole nutritional depletion theory, well, it makes sense, right? And it's beyond folate. I mean, folate is super important. We've already discussed that. But there's a lot of things, omega-3s. We've talked about choline before in a previous podcast. We've talked about selenium and magnesium. All of these issues, these micronutrients are important. So it's not just the immediate pregnancy issues at play with a short IPI, but it does have the potential to increase other adverse neurodevelopmental things in the child. Similarly, a recent registry-based Finnish study also reported a 30% increased risk of ADHD among children born following a short IPI. That was defined as less than six months, as is traditionally in the literature. This was published by Cheslak Postova et al. in the Journal of Pediatric and Perinatal Epidemiology in 2021. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Remember, we just covered a study that talked about oppositional defiant disorder, or ODD. But other publications have also found that ODD does not live in isolation, but usually travels with a partner, either ASD, autism spectrum disorder, or ADHD. And both of those have also been linked to potential micronutrient nutritional deficiencies in pregnancy, especially after a short IPI. 
Okay, now hold on here. Hold on here. We got to pump the brakes here for just a minute because anytime we talk about autism spectrum disorder or ADHD, we have to remind everyone that there's a huge component here of genetics and epigenetics that's hard to control in any observational study. We've talked about this in the past. So just to be clear, I am not saying that all autism spectrum is absolutely 100% caused by a micronutrient depleted state. Not at all but it is a factor. So if you think of ASD or ADHD as a puzzle, they're all the little puzzle pieces that can go into that condition, to that syndrome, which can include environmental stress, genetics, epigenetic changes, nutritional influences, parenting or nurturing influences, socioeconomic stresses. All of these factors go in as different puzzle pieces to make the one picture of ASD or ADHD. Remember, those are very complicated issues, and there's a lot of different pieces that go into each diagnosis. Now that we've covered developmental issues, I want to touch just briefly on TOLAC because this is the issue that gets kind of confusing as well because most of the publications that cover TOLAC regarding interpregnancy care actually don't deal with interpregnancy care at all. They deal with interdelivery interval. Remember that the ACOG states that there tends to be a higher risk of both TOLAC failure or of uterine rupture with interdelivery intervals of less than 18 months, which inherently would mean that there's a short IPI because you figure 40 weeks for a pregnancy, so 40 weeks is 10 months, and then that's a short IDI of 18 months, so 10 minus 8 is 8 months. All to say, it talks about interdelivery interval of 18 months rather than an interpregnancy interval, although that's implied. But even that's controversial because although ACOG uses a short IDI of less than 18 months as a higher risk for TOLAC, there is other data that say, wait a minute, we should probably push that back to 24 months. Yep, a 2022 publication from BMC suggested that TOLAC should have an interdelivery interval not of 18 months, but should be extended to 24 months. If you want more information from this article, you can find it in BMC, and it was released on the 20th of January 2022. The title, appropriately, is, Is There an Optimal Interdelivery Interval in Women Who Undergo a Trial of Labor After Cesarean Delivery? All right, podcast family, now that we're at the end of the episode, a quick word about management of the pregnancy with a short interpregnancy interval. The first thing to keep in mind, of course, is prevention. If we have a postpartum patient, outside of talking to her about contraception, it's important to discuss with her the need for contraception and proper pregnancy spacing. Also remember that the opposite, ironically, is also not that good. In other words, waiting too long can also be linked to increased adverse outcomes, specifically hypertensive disorders. Yep, that's a thing. So waiting less than 18 months can give you issues, but waiting more than five years can also give you issues. It seems that the sweet spot seems to be a timing of pregnancy between 18 or 24 months based on who you read, but less than five years. Because of the association of a short interpregnancy interval with altered fetal growth, meaning either small for gestational age or truly FGR, then you can consider doing serial rate of growth ultrasounds in these pregnancies. However, the frequency of those ultrasounds is just not clear. And because there is no formal guideline for that, that is considered level C or expert opinion. But if you are going to do a rate of growth ultrasound, then getting one at 28 weeks as the start of the third trimester and then another one at 36 weeks to track growth seems appropriate. 
Then comes the question about antepartum fetal surveillance. Currently, the ACOG, in its committee opinion from June 2021, which is number 828, does not list short interpregnancy interval as an indication for outpatient antepartum fetal surveillance. So although growth ultrasounds can be considered, doing antepartum fetal surveillance is not indicated in patients that have a short IPI. Now, remember, of course, we're assuming that there's no other fetal or maternal indication for antepartum fetal surveillance. In other words, short IPI in and of itself is not a standalone indication for outpatient antepartum fetal surveillance. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the short interpregnancy interval. Yep, it's associated with adverse perinatal. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the short interpregnancy interval. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the short interpregnancy interval, recognizing that there's obstet. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the short interpregnancy interval, or the short IPI. There are adverse obstetrical perinatal, and even neurodevelopmental issues associated with this, and it can even extend to some congenital anomalies. So as always, talk to your patients about proper pregnancy spacing. As always, we're thankful for you, and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.